0: Welcome to Masterminds and Maintenance, a podcast for those with new ideas and maintenance. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shake things up in the maintenance and reliability industry. Sometimes the idea failed, sometimes it made their business more successful, and other times their idea revolutionized an entire industry. Today, I have with me Paul Crocker, Supervisor of Maintenance at the Kansas City Board of Public Utilities, Nearman Drinking Water Treatment Facility. I've had the great fortune of hearing Paul share his story at a recent conference, and I'm super excited to have him on the show today. Welcome, Paul. Ryan, how's it going? It's going great. It's a beautiful Good day. I, know, like, I feel like long time no see. <laughs> I know, yeah, it was just a, a week and a half ago. week and a half ago, yeah. All right, well, Paul, you know, I know a little bit about your background. Could you, share us, could you start us off by sharing a little bit more about your, yourself, your background?
1: Yeah, uh, so kind of my employment history is I've been with the utility that I'm with now for 25 years, but in that time, I started out in micrographics, and I went to the power plant they had a job open internally to operate heavy equipment, so I got to learn how to operate a bulldozer and a skid steer and actually a switch engine to pull rail cars around and I did that for a few years and decided, you know what, I need to go back to school, and then I went back to school, got a uh, degree in network and telecommunication management, and then uh, started kind of making changes to get me in the position that I'm in today in the drinking water plant.
0: All right. Very cool. So how'd you get started? It sounds like you, 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 got, you came out of school, you... you um you know, got your first job 23 years ago in this space. Like what led you to getting that job? How'd you get into the the maintenance reliability space?
1: Um, Well, I started out at the plant actually as an operator. I had been out of the country doing some drinking water treatment projects and, uh, and I brought kind of some of the technology back. It was uh, called a biosand filter and uh, it's used in like third world, second world sort of countries to help filter the water out of, uh, Protozoa and bacteria stuff that makes people sick. So I was like, "Well, okay, I work for utility. We got a drinking water treatment plant. Like, what's what's similar? What's different? You know, from the technology the plant uses versus this little uh, this little filter that I learned how to make." And uh, so I started talking to the chemist, and it turns out it's basically the same technology, except the drinking water treatment plant has uh, standards that the EPA sets, and we have to chlorinate the water and uh, do a lot of other things that these little bio sand filters don't have to do, uh, to, to meet people's needs, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Anyway, I got started that that got me in a plant. I wanted to be an operator. And then, uh, because I had a college degree, they had a CMMS at the plant. Uh, when the plant was built, they bought it with a control system and they had never really got it set up except for the asset and location hierarchy. Yeah. So really, really my first job was kind of to sit in there and, uh, build, uh, storeroom in it and kind of just the more i used it the more i liked it um, and it just kind of grew from there it, you know it's it it's been a long journey with it so to speak but it's but it's been a good one
0: awesome so now you're you're in charge of maintenance for drinking water you know it sounds like everything from mechanical to electric electrical fields uh, chlorine, ammonia—it sounds like these are all super important, very serious responsibilities mm-hmm. for the entire population of Kansas City. Yep. Um, and what we often say is, like, the work that is done within maintenance reliability often goes unnoticed. Uh, it seems like you know the the repercussions to any sort of downtime or misstep. Uh, in terms of what you're doing, can be extremely serious. So I guess the question here, Paul, is like, what's your team's secret to consistency and excellence?
1: Um, really, we uh, I guess one thing about the plant is uh, we kind of have to do the same things year after year. There's really no kind of new things that happen. So uh, with the CMMS that we've got, we're able to put PMs and job plans and things like that. And those keep us kind of on time and on schedule. Some of them are calendar based. Uh, a lot of them now are sort of meter based on runtime hours, but we do a lot of that stuff to just assess the uh, condition of the equipment. So there's like oil analysis or vibration analysis. And that gives us a little bit of heads up on equipment failures, but we've got enough redundancy that if we have to take something off, uh, we can do that because as a, as a plant and as a producing facility, we really don't ever have the option to go offline it's not like a power plant if a power plant goes offline like nobody really knows it's because they're on a grid and the other power plants just sort of take care of the load but in drinking water uh, it's not that way you really don't want to have to uh, explain to your customers why they don't have water (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems pretty important you want to you want to stay out of the news so it's a it's a good thing if you're not in the news (laughs) (laughs) At least for bad reasons. You can be in the news for good reasons, but you don't want to be in the news for bad reasons.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's a 24-7 operation for you guys. No concept of downtime. Right.
1: (laughs) That's right. We try to keep it to absolute
0: minimum. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cool. Well, you know, the main topic I'd love to chat about today, Paul, is, is really about maintenance and reliability budgeting. You know, how do you budget every single year, where to spend, what to spend on for the next 12 months? Any tips, tricks, advice for best practices around budgeting and forecasting in a maintenance and reliability department? For for us, it's almost, uh, it's probably a bit easier
1: than it would be most places because we kind of do the same things year after year. So we've got, uh, we've got the previous year's budget that's usually pretty close to the year we're applying for, unless we're wanting some more money. So usually one place I uh, will increase the budget has been around tools uh, and training. Uh, Tools and training. Those have kind of been my bigger spins the last couple of years. So I've been bumping those numbers up and anything kind of having to do with sort of um, condition assessment technologies like ultrasound, infrared, vibration analysis, soil analysis. So I've kind of bumped up those uh, budget lines over the years so we can do more of it and have a better, better sense of what's going on in the plant. Um, So we have a heads up if something's going to break instead of waiting for it to like um, shake, shake off a pedestal or something. If it's a big motor, (laughs) those usually usually aren't good things and they can be big, be big expensive spins uh, Uh uh, when those things fail.
0: You know, what we often hear though, is especially when it, when it comes to, you know, training and condition monitoring, we always have to, it's, Commonly difficult to, to get these line items in from upper management. So I guess any like tips and best practices there when trying to go up to upper management and say, hey, we want to spend an extra, you know, a couple thousand dollars on better training for, for the team or a couple thousand dollars on better remote conditioning and remote monitoring.
1: It's kind of a hard sell because the mindset is uh, a lot of times is we've always done it the way we're doing it now. And so when you come in with something new, like, Hey, I want to do oil analysis. They're like, well, you know, we've been changing the oil in these motors once a year. Isn't that good enough? And I'm like, well, what if you didn't run that motor a year? You had $700 worth of lubricant in it and you didn't even run it. Why don't you take a $35 oil sample, send it off to the lab, get the condition of the oil and the motor it's sitting in. And if it doesn't need to be changed, don't change it. If, uh, if it's, if it's got a lot of particles in it, filter it. If it's got water in it, maybe run it through a, a filter that takes water out. Uh, but you have to do a lot of education. You have to do it um, quite a bit. Um, sometimes I'll forward articles that I see other people um, write or publish on LinkedIn or videos. Uh, it's my boss to kind of help me. So, and sometimes it takes, it takes a few years to get it done. You just can't give up. If if you make one attempt and like, Oh, he turned it down and then you give up. Well, nothing's ever going to change. So it's, I, I find it for me, I, I just kind of caught my uh, pushing my boulder uphill all the time. I'm always trying to push boulders uphill. Sometimes I get, you know, people up, up top, see it, and then they recognize it. And they say, you know, that was a good thing that we did a while back. Let's go ahead and try this. And then we try it and it's successful. And we, you know, we, we improve what we're doing. And uh, so that's kind of my method is just keep trying to get stuff in front of my bosses and and, uh, help, help, you know, bring in training when I can uh, from different organizations and uh, try to educate every time I can. There's always opportunities. So I I take advantage of the opportunities when they present themselves.
0: Yeah. So I think I heard three things there, Paul. The first one, was, you know, take initiative and be the person to just raise their hand and say like, all right, let's do this. The second one that I heard is really approaching it from an ROI mindset. So it's not just, you know, hey, we want to invest in these tools and these trainings, but hey, it, there there could be and there there is a positive return on this investment that we made. And then the third one I heard is persistence. So don't give up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the biggest one is persistence. (laughs)
0: All right, there we go. You know, something that I've loved chatting with you about, Paul, is, you know, just the level of initiative that you take um, in, in, you know, going to these conferences, constantly learning. Where did that come from? And any, like, advice for for new folks coming into this space about – you know, where they could go, where they should go for, you know, to continue learning.
1: Yeah. I, I love sort of the maintenance and reliability community. Um, I got, I got my sort of start in it, um, with SMRP, I don't know, probably five, six years ago, we started a kind of an informal chapter, uh, in Kansas city it was off of SMRP's radar. We ran it, I don't know, for a year or two, um, with no real structure, at least until the uh, guy that was running it, uh, had to, had to move on to do other things and then it, there was nothing for a year or two and then we started to back up but in that time I was like well I kind of like these little meetings that we have but what like what all, what all conferences are out there like I know my industry is American Water Works Association conferences and there's always the in-state uh, versions like we've got the Kansas section of the American Water Works Association there's the big national conference but like what's kind of bigger out there in maintenance and reliability and then one of the guys at the conference said well SMRP has got a big conference and then uh, there's the international maintenance conference and there's the reliability conference. And he goes, well, SMRPs already happened this year. So I was like, what's the next one? <laughs> he says, well, I think it was the reliability conference. Like I, so I, you know, I signed up for it and I kind of been going to them uh, ever since. And I just, I like the community, you know, cause you can go in there with a problem and you find out that other people in completely different industry industries have had the same problem. And you just, you get the chance to see kind of how they're doing it and how they've improved their organization. Uh, And then that you kind of can take take back bits and pieces to help improve what you're doing. And everybody's pretty accepting. And, you know, I haven't come across anybody that like looks down on me because I don't know the best practice yet or I haven't come up against a problem. I'm like, I haven't, I haven't kind of seen that attitude. So it's a great sort of uh, community to be in. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and it really goes across the board. It really doesn't matter what you're making uh, or, or what you're producing as a service. Uh, and the conferences I think could be attended by anybody, you know, even a nurse would find something helpful out of going to some of these conferences because they talk about lots of different things, you know, uh, asset management in of itself encompasses about everything there is. And yeah. then you can, you can always find something about safety or reliability or asset management or maintenance topics. Uh, and it's applicable to a lot of different things. So I just find it a pretty cool um, sort of community to be a part of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing that I, I think people don't often see is the impact that maintenance reliability is, but even, even reliability has on our everyday lives. Um, you know, one of the, the folks we had on our podcast just a few weeks ago was talking about the reason why people come to him is because of a big product recall because the product failed and wasn't reliable, you know, out in the actual, you know, in, in, in the actual field. so I thought right. that was a great way to just showcase reliability, reliability in everyday products that we use. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, so Paul, I would love to bring it back to this idea around budgeting. We talked about right, budgeting right. training, yep. um, how do you budget for and plan for the unexpected? Because that's often the the realm that we deal with in the maintenance reliability space.
1: Yeah. I, I don't like stuff to sneak up on me. I think that's why I like doing some of the um, sort of condition, condition assessment stuff like oil analysis and vibration. Cause it gives you a heads up yeah. on things. And if you can see it coming, you can sort of plan for it and ask for money for it in advance instead of oh, hey, uh, that pump just broke and we didn't know, we didn't have any heads up it was going to break. And then once you get, you know, a quote back on how much it's going to cost to fix, it, it's like, I don't have enough line items in my budget this year to, co- <laughs> to cover that. Like, I don't want those sort of problems to happen. So I try to budget um, enough that we can do enough preventive sort of, of maintenance and sort of condition assessment on different things. Uh, to see where things are at, as I really don't like surprises, especially big expensive equipment failing. And we mm-hmm. have enough redundancy we can get around it, but still, when something breaks, you have to address it. And uh, so I don't put a lot of fluff in my budget. We use I, I usually am under budget uh, every year for what I've what I've put in, but uh, kind of about the same year to year. It really doesn't change a whole
0: lot. Yeah. So I think what I'm hearing is that's, that's a real reason to move towards condition monitoring is mm-hmm. so that you can be more predictive and prescriptive with your budget for next year. So that you right, can predict yeah. failures, predict the amount of uh, replacements that you need before it actually, you know, fires come up within your facility.
1: Right. And if, and if you're operating the equipment with, with the way it was designed and you're maintaining it the way that was intended to be maintained, you if it's designed right and operated right, you should be able to expect a decent life out of most equipment. It doesn't always work out that way, but in general, uh, the better you treat the equipment, um, the better it'll run for you. And so I, I have to say, you know, over the years, I've I, uh, really come to appreciate engineers, especially in the, in the utilities industry, because a lot of times you really don't think about them, you know, like I'll pour a glass of water and, and drink it, but I really don't think of the engineering that went into the plant or the collector well system that we have or the treatment processes or technology. In fact, most people don't think of all that stuff. It's like I just turn on a yeah. tab, get some water, do whatever with it, <laughs> and you really don't think of all that. And you were, maybe you shouldn't have to, but um, I don't know. I, I uh I'm always thankful of, of the, at least the industry I work in. So oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the work that you guys do at, at the water tri- treatment facility. Um, I'm curious, Paul, as well, you know, we talk about, you know, budgeting and forecasting uh, a big question that our customers often face is, you know, how do you, how do you, and what's the best way to make a repair versus replace decision on your equipment and assets?
1: Um, It kind of depends. Some stuff I've got uh, run to failure as my maintenance strategy on like a small pump, for instance. And I guess one of the cases we had is we had some small pumps in our plant that would cost around $2,000 to rebuild year after year. And I was like, well, I wonder if there's a smaller pump around here that I can just install and when it fails, replace it and replace it for cheaper so we looked at the operating context it was a it was a turbine regenerative pump about a half horsepower and it was pumping water about five feet up from where it was at to an analyzer and this thing could pump up to like 250 feet ahead so it could pump water up long distances they're generally used for boiler feed pumps so it was a bit overkill uh for for how it was being used so i found a smaller pump uh replaced it that was like 250 dollars and actually that pump has kind of outlived any of the previous two thousand (laughs) dollar pump so sometimes you can find something that does does a better job for a lot cheaper and even more reliable than what what i had so uh some of those you just kind of have to collect good data on you know if you're getting a lot of failures and something and you can run uh different sort of analysis like Weibull analysis and kind of see how, how reliable a piece of equipment is. And you've got a bunch of them. Uh, so for us, we've got like 15 different chemical metering pumps, several, for several different chemicals. They're all the same make and model, essentially. Uh, so if you're having failures on one, you can kind of start to say, well, what have we been doing to this one? How has it been failing? And you, you know, you look at the failure modes and effects of that and then you go back and try and find the root causes when it does fail and then see, you know, uh, Way well, you can learn from it. And if it's uh, if it's a good fit to rebuild it, then you rebuild it. If it's time to replace it, you kind of look at the historical costs. And it's like, maybe you can buy a newer pump that's uh, a little better design and install it versus the one you've been trying to maintain for years. And a lot of the CMMSs uh, keep pretty good history on assets on what you spend on them. And if you've been capturing failure codes and you've got criticality sort of uh, analysis done so you're working on equipment that's critical to your processes um, you should have a pretty good idea of what your failures are going to be um, and and work you know and preventive sort of maintenance is working to try and prevent those failures from occurring in the first place.
0: Yeah absolutely so so I think what I heard Paul is really about having really good data that you could look at and analyze to to help Make these repair versus replace decisions right I think the other really interesting insight from from that too is it's not just about the cost to repair the cost to replace, but it's all it could also be like the the cost of purchasing a a replacement that could be cheaper and also more effective and reliable. Right, really interesting uh example
1: yeah and even at the, even at this little pump case i was talking about so the the pump that we would rebuild i probably had to carry 20 different parts on the shelf because i had right 10 or 15 of those pumps that ran different analyzers in the plant so i'd have to carry enough on the shelf to keep those pumps working so we'd take one off we could sort of rebuild it put it on the shelf so when one fails we could install it and so when i found this other pump like i don't have to keep any parts i just like keep another pump on the shelf <laughs> and you know and then I don't have guys you know I'm not wasting their time in the shop turn down a pump when I've got one they'll do the same amount of job for you know a fraction of the cost $200 or actually $200 versus 2000 so there's a huge yeah. you know cost savings it does the exact same same function just as yeah. good and longer and I don't have to I don't have to repair it just get rid of it put another one in and yeah Uh, we stay running so we're not doing maintenance on stuff like that so it helps it helps work on stuff that's really more important to work on uh,
0: absolutely
1: uh, avoiding those little those little time time sync failures Um, you know some guys may like enjoy you know rebuilding (laughs) little pumps like that but i don't know i'd find it a little monotonous
0: (laughs) Yeah. Again, super cool. I, I think it's really important to always take a step back and be like, "Hey, are we uh, just making this more difficult on ourselves mm-hmm. and trying to rebuild the pump that we've had for you know the past ten years versus just buying a brand new one a brand so that new could one, be cheaper, yeah. more effective, more efficient, mm-hmm. more reliable." Yep.
1: Uh, very. Yeah, I think I think this was like a s- one twelve horsepower or something motor I went to versus a half horse and it's doing the same amount. It's doing, It's feeding water the same analyzer, just the same amount it was feeding before with the other bigger pump and uh, not near as much water running down the drain bypass analyzer, too. So it, it's, it helped that, too, because we're not um, sort of cannibalizing our own product just because we've yeah. got an oversized pump, you know, giving
0: us more water than what we need. So All right. uh, that's kind of some good things there. What about for budgeting and maintaining spare parts and inventory? Any tips around budgeting, forecasting, how to maintain minimum quantities there and how much to to gauge in terms of spend? Um, At
1: least the CMMS, I leverage some of the reports it has in it. Uh, So it will track what I've used uh, for all the different parts for the year. And I can run a report economic order, uh, quantity OQ report. And it'll tell me like, Hey, we've had this much on the shelf. Well, you maybe only need one of these cause you haven't really used any of the 12 you had for the last 10 years. So <laughs> run, run it down to, to one, you know, as a safety spare if you need it and then just order them as you need them. So we try to keep a, uh, a minimum amount of inventory, but there's some things we have that are long lead time. And some things we have to do um, every year as part of our risk management plan for like our chlorine and ammonia sort of systems. So those parts I like to keep on the shelf and enough enough on hand to like rebuild all the equipment that we need rebuilt that year. So it's at least when we're not trying to produce widgets to meet like customer demand, it's we're wow. making one product continuously and the demand really has kind of gone down due to uh, consumer use products. You know, they make toilets that use less water and shower heads use less water. So consumer demand's actually kind of fallen off a little bit. So it kind of makes some things easier. We don't have to constantly keep enlarging the plant uh, because some of those efficiencies that in the uh, consumer space, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think what I heard there is like utilizing a CMS um, to, to really help you track and manage reports on particular pieces of uh, pieces of inventory and really help you be smart about your, your minimum quantities and whether you've set the right minimum quantity or not. Um, instead of just operating off of, this is what we did last year. This is what right. we have in stock.
1: Yeah. Um, so we, we want to have enough, but not have so much that like, you, know, you don't want to have a ton of like O rings and elastomer stuff. Cause it just doesn't last on the shelf for forever. You just yeah. need enough, need enough to get you by in the short term. And, uh, you know, some sometimes I guess if you're a new company, you may not know exactly what you need. Uh, but as time goes on, you'll start to get a better picture of what you need. And if you're if you're using the CMS and the tools that we have to look at data nowadays, uh, and and kind of get take that data and form some knowledge and and have some intelligence about what you order, then I think you're probably doing good and there's lots of spreadsheets and stuff out there you can get to help you make those decisions if you don't have a cmms because mm-hmm. not everybody has one but if you do and you're collecting good information it should help you figure out what you need to order and, and it should also track how much you've spent like Absolutely. i bought i bought that from joe's plumbing down the street and it was 12 dollars, and i bought it from uh larry's plumbing, and it was 25 well you know you can start to sort of see who you bought it from over the years and and sort of pick the better supplier that uh, gives you a good product at a good price.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, like the the power of good data comes not just from the, the reports it produces today, but the historical context that it gives you over the last several years. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really awesome. So, yep. Paul, I remember you, you talking to Seattle that you've spoken up to management many times in your career advocating for change. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share some of those experiences, what that was like, what have you found that works best when trying to openly communicate to management's eyes about maintenance and, and reliability in your organization?
1: Well, it could be a little scary at first. I'm a little bit of an introvert, so uh, I don't to like, naturally, hey, let's go up and have a conversation with people. <laughs> but
0: uh... <laughs> We're doing it right now, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, really, a lot of it started around when uh, my manager had asked, Several of us in our in the water division to go to this kind of asset management workshop that was being put on by the state, um, because at some point the state's going to say, or you know, the state can say, hey, if you want state dollars to help you maintain your infrastructure, you got to prove it you're doing asset management. So I did that. I learned. I learned. Started to learn a lot about asset management, and and it was a sort of a bigger picture thing than just maintenance. And uh, so I kind of used used that use that to help me. Uh, kind of form a story of what we're doing and then approach management about it. Um, So uh, one of the ways is I just show up to board meetings and get to know the board members. And then uh, one of the particular board members, uh, Mary Gonzalez was always really good about coming out to our plant in the, in uh, the American waterworks association association. There's this um, thing in the States called top ops and you compete by uh, answering multi, multiple choice questions on a panel, they'll ask you a question about drinking water treatment or wastewater treatment, whatever. And the group that answers the question is most accurate and fastest, you know, win. If you win the state, then you can go to like the national conference and compete against like all 50 states. So she would come out, we'd quiz as operators, you know, these questions. And so it got it developed a relationship with at least one of the board members. And I kind of used that to start like exposing them to asset management things and like how if you put an asset management right and you integrate it into the culture and into the mission, vision, values of the company, that it really can improve everything. And so I always look at asset management as a way to help me do my job as a maintainer and help my maintainers do a better job uh, through like cultural improvements and things like that that can come out of outgrowths of uh, really engaging leadership. Because they don't have hands on the floor. They're not touching the equipment. They're not operating the equipment. All they get to see really is reports. And sometimes that's the best view they've got of the, of the company. Well, but when somebody like me comes and says, hey, you've been to my plant. Hey, let me show you how this piece of equipment works. And, oh, hey, here's some asset management stuff. or I'll send them a video I've seen. Uh, it's been really kind of cool that way. But I was able to take um, two of the board members to a, a kind of a one-day CRL workshop. And uh-huh. in, uh, in Omaha a year year or so ago, I think it was, and they they, they just loved it. And it's like it's kind of cool because I like I never dreamed at all I'd ever be able to do something like that. Uh, so it was really kind of cool to just get some people who are like super high above me uh in organization. I mean, they're elected by the community uh and be able to take them to a conference that talks about asset management, and maintenance, and reliability. And it was it was really just kind of cool sort of stuff. So. Uh, it helps. I mean, it helps when you, when you go to do stuff uh, and you kind of have those people as allies, you know, for the cause to improve things.
0: That's awesome. I mean, it so- sounds like you did a great, a great job from educating, you know, yourself, the team below you and also, you know, managing up and educating the the team of, you know, that, that uh, are responsible for some of the biggest decisions within the company. So, yep. It sounds like you did a great, great job about that. Um, yeah, we got an we got an
1: awesome elected board and, and the leaders. Uh, they all really care about the utility and the employees and the and the management staff alike. So, uh, when you can kind of do something you think will improve the culture, and it's always to me, it's a something you got to go for
0: because <laughs> you know it it just is, and that's that's what I do. So, that's really cool, Paul. Um, Paul, I'm I'm curious. What's something you wish more people knew about? the maintenance and reliability industry in space?
1: Um, we're really trying to improve things and make it better for everybody. Um, I don't know that's really our technical defined role as a maintainer, but I find really maintainers like to fix things and like to make things work right. And it, and it really goes beyond just a piece of equipment or a breaker or a motor or whatever. You can kind of apply it to your job or your, or your division or your company. You know, if you can make it run better, um, that's kind of what I think most maintainers have at heart. Uh, You know, I just, I want to see the company do better. And I think we already do great, but what if, what if somehow what we did in asset management or reliability or safety allowed us to lower the cost of electricity or drinking water to the customers? I think that'd be a huge win. Uh, So that's kind of my overall goal um, for some of the stuff that I try to take to upper management is that one day be able to say, you know, Hey, some of the stuff we put into work, actually we've lowered our costs. And like how many utilities can say we've lowered the cost of water. We lowered the cost of power or wastewater services. I think that's a, might be a lofty goal and completely unattainable, but I think it's worth
0: trying to get there. <laughs> I think that's a common misconception that many people have about maintenance too, is that it's, you know, maintenance is not just about maintaining what we currently have yeah. in the, the, the current state that it's in right now. A lot of maintenance and reliability is about making it better, mm-hmm. about making it cheaper, better, faster. Yep. Um, you know, I, I started my, my career out in, in process engineering and it was all, uh, you know, it was all about making our process better and faster. And there's a big component within maintenance within that. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, Paul. I, I loved hearing your story. Um, so, so Paul, where can, where can our listeners go to, to find all the ways that they can connect with you and follow along your journey?
1: Uh, probably LinkedIn is probably the best. I think I'm on there uh, quite a bit. I know I look at it usually in the morning, at the end of the workday, a couple times in the evening, probably far too much, but I, uh, I do like uh, LinkedIn. It's, it's a great platform.
0: Awesome. 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 Well, well, thanks again, Paul, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's masterminds and maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO of Upkeep. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. Until next time. Thanks so much, Paul. Yep. Thank you, Ryan.